Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Join today. He's a fitness and nutrition coach, speaker, writer, and author. It's Nate Palmer. How are you doing today, Nate? I'm doing awesome, Alex. Thanks so much for having me on the show. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your Rise to the Challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about a little bit where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? So I, um, a lot of people think that as a fitness coach that I was like the biggest, strongest person and on the, all the sports teams, super athletic. And my story is actually a little bit of the opposite of that. When I was growing up, I would not have considered myself to be necessarily an athlete. I played like t-ball till I was 11, you know, or some, some shit like that. But really what spurred me getting into the, like the training and strength space was when I was 12 or 13, I was at home by myself. My mom had taken my two sisters to drop them off at school. And someone knocked on the door and I went to look at it and I didn't recognize the person. So I didn't answer it. And then I saw the guy come around the backyard. And then a minute later, I hear the glass break on a window. So he comes in through the, through the window, breaks it like breaks in. And so I grab a knife out of the knife block and I go hide in my room and I have in my room, I have this little rinky dink, like oop push button lock. And so I'm sitting there under my bed with a steak knife, ready to stab someone in the face. And the guy, I hear him come down the hallway and it's like big work boots on my hardwood floors. And it's like, boom, boom, boom. And then he pounds on my door. And I was like, guess this is it. Guess this is where I die. I, I didn't die. Still, still okay. Still kicking. But at that moment, I really felt powerless. I felt like I had no recourse. I lacked autonomy. I couldn't do anything. And I don't know if I necessarily consciously put it together at the time. But at that moment, I was like, I don't ever want to feel this way again. I don't want to feel like I don't have any ability and I'm totally at someone else's mercy. So at that point, I started like thinking about training. You know, I didn't have any idea like where to do, like where to go or how to do it. Mm-hmm. But I remember just like being in my room, like doing push-ups and lifting stuff up and being like, I need a weight set. I need a boxing, boxing mat, punching bag and stuff like that. And that was really what triggered it for me. So like fast forward, like probably t- a decade i'm in college getting my sort of or my degree in business and psychology and i basically shirk all of my studies to instead read as much as i possibly can this is 2008 so the internet is not like a massive place youtube's kind of just starting off and everything so i spend so much time reading and learning about strength training programs and how do you build muscle and what are the ways that you can get stronger and more uh more fierce right not just have neck tattoos And so when I graduated college, 2009, not a lot of jobs available at the moment. So I went into personal training and I was like, I'll figure this out while I decide what I want to do when I grow up. Still haven't decided, I guess. So, because here we are uh, 13 years later, still on that same fitness and nutrition train, but definitely the, some of the, some of the ideas and the goals and the motivations have shifted. Uh, but the the one idea that kind of permeates everything that I've done over the past couple, like decade or whatever, has been the idea of consistent, gradual improvements over time, adding up to being mass, massive difference makers. We hear that signature line, man of the house. Did you feel that that line was kind of going through your head at that time where you're just hiding? Or was it more that it was a mental play and you just were looking at safety more than anything. Um, I don't necessarily know if that line was going through my house, but I do think that was probably 
um, at least subconscious because my parents at the same time, like three months prior had split up and gotten a divorce. So in that way, like I was, I was the only man and my, I had two younger sisters and my mom in the house. So no one else was there. It was just me. So I didn't, I've only felt like my safety was in jeopardy, but felt like, you know, as the quote unquote man of the house as mm -hmm. a 12 year old, like having, having no ability to defend the house or even defend my own safety. That's did not feel good. What was your favorite part of weight training, strength training at a young age? And what was the hardest thing about it? I don't know if I had a favorite part at, at a young age. I wasn't good at it. I, I was not strong. I did not make good progress because a, I was, I was bad at it. And I trained primarily arms like 15 days per week. <laughs> um, and then I went to a, a doctor one time and he was like, you are an exercise non-responder. He's like, you have a like inverted chest. He's like the potential for you to gain muscles. Very, very slim. I was like, well, F that watch oh. this, watch this. I'll put in 12 years of work and maybe I'll have a moderate physique at that point. So we're still, we're still getting, trying to get there. Did you have any inspirations or anyone that motivated you growing up? Well, I mean, when growing up, like, so I was born in 87. Growing up, all of the like Terminator was like, that was like, that was the jam, you know, watching like um, Schwarzenegger and some of like these eight Rambo 80s action heroes um, back before we had like, uh, Brad Pitt and Fight Club as everyone like you know weighing 151 pounds <laughs> like absolutely like stone shredded all I wanted to do was be big I just want to be big and scary and so I was like well that's going to be muscles that's going to be yeah. tattoos and that's going to be a beard so I've definitely accomplished two of the three <laughs> did you ever have the idea of wanting to be a bodybuilder in a way because you talked about Schwarzenegger and um oh man uh, Balboa Stallone. Stallone. I knew the character name, yeah. but I forgot the real person's name. Stallone and all those characters, and not be like the Brad Pitt, skinny and shredded. I never did. I never like was like I want to be a bodybuilder. I want to step on stage. Um, and it's honestly like taken me a while to even understand that. Like in terms of the physique and the way I want to feel, bodybuilder methodologies have a very like like our front and center in the way I train mm -hmm. because of that. But I think that, you know, just kind of being youthful and foolish, I was like, well, I don't want to be a bodybuilder. I don't want to get too big. And now when people say that to me, I'm like, really? Yeah, yeah, that doesn't just happen. You don't just wake up and go, oh no, I got too big. And you know what? Even if you do, <laughs> here's what we do is you just go back to eating those delicious donuts that you like so much. And that's the fun part. So you don't yeah. have to stress about it. See, I always looked at those people where they had the muscles and stuff, but I'm like, oh, it's just going to take me too long to get there. So I just don't even try. And now <laughs> on my journey going the opposite way where I was bigger and now get trying to get skinnier, it's like, this is a long process. And I think everyone wishes that it was like a snap of the finger and they were whatever physique they, they want to be. What do you think? Do you, do you feel like you would value it as much if it was a snap of the fingers, a supplement or an easy pill? No, because I think going on the year that I've gone and losing 50 pounds, it's been worth the journey because I learned so much about myself through the year I've been on it. I think you learn a lot more than getting the easy way out. Totally. And I, I could not agree more, even though I feel like I've had a lot of like 
annoyances and like painful, like those thought processes and the spirals where you're like, is this even worth it? Why am I always in pain? I'm hurting at the gym. I'm hurting when I get home and my legs are always sore. I'm I'm not eating the foods that I want to eat. I'm not going out and getting drunk all the time. I'm going to bed early. Like, is this even worth it? And then to kind of like look back on the journey and be like, well, look at all the intangibles. Mm-hmm. Look what you learned along the way. Look at the grit you displayed. And I think one of the most important things that no one talks about in terms of a fitness or transformation, whatever side of the uh, coin you're on, is look at the person you became as you made those decisions. We all have a, like, an, like an idea, an identity of who we are, right? Yep. Um, and I think that like, for example, like let's like let's take you and then this other person named Bob. He's random Bob. So Bob is like, you know, he's 50 pounds overweight. He wants to lose the weight. And every year he goes, man, I'm going to lose the weight. I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to start a gym membership. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to meal prep, whatever. And every year he doesn't. What does that do to Bob's psyche? What does that do to Bob's perception of himself and his identity? No one wants to admit this because it sucks, mm-hmm. but that makes Bob a liar. That makes Bob someone who you are cannot depend on. That makes Bob not willing to fulfill his own obligations to himself. And therefore, how can he fulfill anyone else's obligations either? Versus you, you said you wanted to do something. And even though it's taken you a year, which by the way, amazing progress in a year, 50 pounds, incredible. You've done it and you've kept doing it and you've kept pushing. I'm sure you've hit plateaus and frustrations, but every time you've come, you've come back and kept going. And what does that make you now? You have an indomitable mindset. You look at a a problem and you say, you know what? I can do that. You want to know why? Because look at my, look at my history. Look at my tenure. Look at the activities and things that I've already done to prove who I am. And I think that is innately more powerful than your physique, the weight loss, the building muscle, or any of those things. When you are a person who does what the fuck they say they're going to do, that makes you incredibly powerful. I love that. I love that. When you were in college, did your journey and your fitness and all that kind of play an effect and that was more of a focus than school? Or did school kind of take over than your personal life? I've never really put a lot of priority on school. I was homeschooled growing up. So I went into like, I was homeschooled up through sixth grade, went into sixth grade being kind of uh, ahead of the curve. Uh, And I think I let that go to my head. And so I never really tried at school and that caught up to me and I didn't do the best. And then when I, when I went to college, I had this, I had a really unique experience where I transferred my freshman year in like, like, so I, I was, did freshman year at a community college and I transferred Mm -hmm. to a university my sophomore year, but for whatever reason, I still was, I had the freshman designation. So I only was able to take my sophomore year. I was only able to register for freshman classes. So if I wanted a new class, if I wanted these sophomore classes or any of the interesting ones, I had to go show up and be like, please, sir, can I, will you sign my papers? You know, and I had to like crash all these classes. So going to school was always this, like this painful, annoying process for me. Cause I was always late always had the worst classes. I always had these seven or 8am classes. I was at the bottom of the barrel pick. So at like when, when I was like, oh yeah, I could, I could go to my environmental psychology class with a 92 year old teacher who told me that I need to pee sitting down. I could do that. Or I could stay up all night drinking Coors Light and reading about bodybuilding. Like, hmm, wonder yeah. which, I'm 19. I wonder which one I'm going to go for, you know? Looking back at your college journey and all the different degrees that are out there now, would you still go on the same route with psychology or would you change it and go maybe something nutrition and things like that, that kind of go towards the fitness industry? 
it's a good question. I don't know. I think I'd probably do something similar. I'd probably, I'd probably maybe go a little bit heavier into the psychology rather than kind of dabbling around the outskirts in some of these BS classes. Um, but I liked the way I did my education in nutrition. It was very, it was very much like figuring out which pieces I wanted to learn and then like learning them rather than being like, here's the nutrition degree, go through it. You know, so I feel like all of the learning I did was really passion focused because I did it of my own accord outside of all these other means. And I felt like when I was in school, even if it was a, a, a subject I was excited about, I would still not necessarily put a lot of effort towards it because I felt like I was being forced to do it. So I think that the way I did it worked well for me and my brain. So after college, you mentioned that you went in becoming a personal trainer. How was it going into that? Did you kind of think, where am I going to work at? Do I need to start my own company, coaching, things like that? How did that play an effect? I always knew that if I was going to go into personal training, I would just start at a big gym because I wanted to get a lot of experience working with a lot of people. That's kind of what I had from what I had read and seen that seemed like the best, the best idea. So I went to a couple different gyms. I didn't have a certification at the time. So I went in and a lot of people were like, no, we don't hire, we don't hire novice trainers. We don't hire people without certifications. And I went into one and they were like, sure, get your certification, come back, we'll hire you. And I was like, how long does it take to get a certification? And they're like three months. And I was like, well, if I come back in two weeks with a cert, would I have a job? And they're like, yeah, sure. Bye. And so I did, I walked back in two weeks and I was like, that was a big mistake, but I also wasn't, I was unemployed. I had plenty of time to, to study. So walked back in two weeks later on my, on my 22nd birthday. And I was like, ready to work. And they were like, all right, start by cleaning all the machines. And so it was, it was okay because I had a, I have a lot of background in sales. So I had, I had sold books door to door during college to make money. I worked as a, an account executive selling ads to businesses in Tucson, Arizona for the, the paper. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a stretch for me to then talk to people randomly and, and sell them personal training. Cause, cause as a trainer, you have to do all those things on your own. So it was, it, so my, it was kind of a shock though, when they're like, we'll pay you 20% of anything you sell. And I was like, all right, I guess this is what it's, they start at. So I worked that for about 14, 15 months before I switched, switched places and started doing something new. What was the benefit of working at a big gym starting out? You get a lot of reps. You get a lot of shots on goal with your, with your like sales presentations. You get to talk to a lot of people. You got to get to hear a lot of what, like what people are dealing with, you know? So like my struggle is not necessarily like everyone's struggle, but so I got to hear everybody's here's what I dealt with. Here's what I've done so far. Here are the obstacles. And it just like, it creates more like empathy and you can start to see like, what are the commonalities, right? And then also, um, I know everyone right now wants to be an online coach, but back in 2008, 2009, everyone wanted to train athletes. Everyone wanted to Mm -hmm. train celebrities. And there's not that many athletes out there just being like, you know what I need as a personal trainer. You know, they're showing up at like the Titleist Performance Institute and, and, you know, they're like, (laughs) you know, there's, there's a, there's an upper echelon. Yeah. So it gave me a good opportunity to train a ton of different people. So I got to train a couple high school athletes, play people who played rugby. I got to train a couple of people who were like 75, 80 years old, just want to increase their bone density. I got to train out like a bunch of just average guys who all wanted to lose 25 pounds. You know, I got to train a couple of people who were like doing some muscle building. And then I got to train one bodybuilder, you know? So like I got this whole gamut of goals, but also personality types and ages and demographics. So I was able to see like, not only what kind of training do I like, but like, who do I vibe with? What kind of person do I want 
in my life because as a personal trainer, like a lot of it is training, uh, but a lot of it is like therapy. A lot yeah. of it is just talking to people and Mrs. Jones has had a rough day and her husband was mean to her and like talking her through that and get, letting her get it off her chest, you know? So um, with that, with all that being said, there are certain people who I was like, you are an energy vampire and I cannot be around you. So did you enjoy having that interaction with them on a, like a deeper level? Cause sometimes personal trainers are like, Oh, they're just a number. They're just a sale and things like that. Did you take the time to get to know them and learn about what their goal is instead of, okay, this is what your expectations are. This is what's going to happen. That's it. Hell no. I wasn't going to try to talk to these people. Yeah, no, for sure. I was, it's like, it's <laughs> such a relationship building business. Cause like I saw people who would come back to the same trainer for years and years and years without ever seeing results. So it wasn't even like, it wasn't necessarily like you had to perform at a high level. And you have to give them the very best of, the, of your training and your work and your expertise is like the, people hire coaches, not, not coaching. Mm-hmm. So they hired, they, they want the trainers. They don't want the training. So they, having a personal relationship with people is it, like was critical. And I think I did better at that in kind of the second and third iterations of, of working as a trainer. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I definitely always wanted to create that rapport right away. Know their kids' names, know their birthdays. That was important. I think you can almost take that same concept in like in, in the workforce and things like that. You kind of want to get to know your employees in a way, not like super details, but you kind of build that bond with them where you know that if you go to them, they're going to be able to help you. And it sounds like the same thing with your clients where they wanted you to be that coach and have that kind of bond so that they know they could trust you in a way. Absolutely. Yeah. If you, and if you can't like, if there's no trust, right. It's hard to, for them to admit when they've screwed up, when they need help, that sort of thing. So having that trust was really imperative. You mentioned that you were only there for 14 to 15 months. What was the main reason you wanted, like you saw that you're ready for that next step in your career? I thought I had ball cancer and uh, didn't have insurance. So I was like, I should probably get a different job. Talk about that kind of getting that information. I didn't, uh, I did not have it still, okay. still kicking. So, um, but I just, you know, I made $18,000 my first year as a trainer, which I didn't believe it at the time, but that put me below the poverty line. So could have applied for food stamps. So um, it was, I was working all the time. I didn't have insurance. You know, it's like, it's you kill what you eat or you eat what you kill. You know, like they weren't feeding you any clients. It wasn't like mm-hmm. there's this, like you show up and you get $20 an hour or whatever. It was like, yeah, you can have, you can get paid to work. And if you're not working, well, sorry. So yeah. I'd be there from like 6, 7 a.m. until 6, 7 p.m. And then, you know, I had like a three, four hour break in the middle. And I was booking these half hour sessions. So I'd have a half hour, then a half hour off and a half hour, half hour, and then an hour off. You know, like it wasn't, it wasn't super, they weren't like the, at like the, the people who this gym is currently out of business. They don't exist anymore called fitness works, but they were not necessarily setting up their trainers for success or potentially just not me because they didn't see the, they didn't necessarily know that I was going to be one of their bigger trainers, I guess. So I had my biggest month ever sold $10,000 that month. And then I quit the next month. Everyone was mad, <laughs> but that's okay. Cause I went to, I went to work for a place that was doing inside sales called Kaplan online university. Also another place that doesn't exist anymore. Um, basically trying like, you know, the whole 
thing where people were like, oh, yeah, you were taking out student loans from the government and then you were giving us degrees from uh, like these for profit universities that, that didn't that didn't work out for us. Mm-hmm. Remember that thing? Yep. Yeah, that was that I was doing. So once I kind of got the, like, I was like, oh, this feels really bad. I ended up quitting that after three months um, at the insistence of one of my mentors at the time who was like, you need to get out of that job before you kill yourself. And you also need to open a gym. And I was like, I don't want to open a gym. He's like, you need to open a gym. I was like, I don't really want to. He's like, you need to do it. I was like, okay, fine. I'll do it. Do whatever you say. So I opened up like a small studio space, kind of renting, renting uh, like space, time and equipment from another, another gym owner. Um, called Nate Training Systems and built that up over the course of about two, two and a half years. What was your favorite part in the kind of creating that gym or kind of that concept in launching it? I mean, I love working with clients and I love like, like some of the people I worked with in there, I'm still friends with. I'm gonna go out like and have dinner with them, one of them today uh, or not today, but this week. But um, so I love the people. Uh, that's That's always been like the best part of personal training. But the other thing that I really liked and enjoyed about it was um, starting to do some like online marketing, writing a blog. So I've had my blog going since 2011. Um, so like I've got hundreds of articles up there and that was really a fun outlet to be able to like have some sort of creativity around fitness when it's just like all day, every day, it's like squats, deadlifts, pushups, whatever else. I get to write stuff, take pictures, film videos. Um, and that's been a, a consistent thing that I've done since then is creating content. And I like it. I think that is so much fun for me. Do you feel that something that kind of stands you out as a lot of times you can go on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all these, and you just see people that says they're fitness influencers, but do you feel that you take the content to a different level because it's more personal and what you're writing and things like that? So just trying to get sales and stuff, it's kind of like similar to training in a way where you're just trying to get a number. I mean, like to a certain extent, if you were like, you have to change, you have to change a lot about what you're doing to get more, to more sales and more views. I'd be like, all right, I'll give it a shot. You know, like that is the end goal, especially with like the content marketing. But um, I, if I'm not having fun doing something, I don't want to do it. So a lot of my shit is, is I try to keep it humorous. I try to keep it light. I try to like, I like talk about Pokemon and 90s hip hop. And like weird esoteric 80s action movies. Like I, I try to have those things in there because that's what's funny to me. And yeah, I, like I hope that the people who are, you know, reading it are vibing with what I'm saying. And if they're not, you know, see you. See, if, if I had a trainer that did that, I would totally read it because it's like you can find someone who likes that kind of information. I mean, Pokemon, things like that. And they're going to get so interested and they'd be like, write another one like that write something new similar to that kind of theme. Well, do I have some great news for you? You're coming out with another one like that. Uh-uh, no, I just I have thousands and thousands of videos ready and curated just for you. Oh. Wow. You just wait till I drop my Instagram handle at the end of this. <laughs> what is your favorite exercise? Mm, Throw a, a fun question out there. Um I really like training back. So I think I really, uh, I'm really into pull-ups, pull-downs right now, but I'd be remiss not to even mention the OG Bulgarian split squats, which is just kind of king of, the, king of all the exercises. Are you still on that track to 
like when uh, your younger doctor said about your chest, are you still that hardcore with chest workouts and things like that? Uh, I think I've gotten a little less hardcore as time has gone on because I get better results when I'm trying, when I'm not trying and beating myself into the ground so much. I used to think that like, you know, okay, training three times a week is good, but the six must be better. Right. Mm -hmm. But I actually get better results when I'm training less. I'm prioritizing recovery more. So I think that was one thing that like that I thought you had to train all the time because I saw these guys who were taking steroids and had better genetics and they were going to respond to like, despite the stimulus, not because of, right. And so I was like, well, I got to do what they're doing, not realizing that I might not have like ideal genetics for what I was looking to do. And I needed to put more emphasis on recovery than maybe some people did. So once I figured out kind of how my body worked, I, I've been able to have more success. So I probably had more success with muscle building in the last like two or three years than I did in the last eight before that. Is there any kind of activity that you enjoy that kind of still gets that workout feel for you, but it's not in a gym? Mm. Yeah, I like, I like biking, I like cycling. Uh, most of the time I do it on my single speed bike with my two children in the carrier behind me. So that way I can still suffer a little bit, but it's not necessarily uh, in the gym. What would you tell someone that's listening to this interview and they're like nervous about going to the gym and what would you say to make them take that first step if they're thinking about it? Mm, I feel like you could say some, you could say a couple of different things. You could say like, yeah, you can do it. No one's really looking at you. Don't stress. It's just like one step. You also said like, I think my thought is like, okay, you're nervous about going to the gym. You have two options. You can go to the gym or you can not go to the gym, right? Mm -hmm. One of those is guaranteed to not get you to your goals. The other one is probably going to get you close to your goals. Which step do you want to take? How much do you care? And so I feel like, like the motivational stuff, the inspirational stuff, like, yeah, you can do it. Let's just keep going. You know, like, I don't like it's a little bit old because that's not fixing the problem. We have a, we are of higher percentage of people obese and overweight in the United States than we've ever had before. And I think there's a couple of factors at play, but I don't think that not having enough motivational material or YouTube videos is part of that reason. Yep. During your time as an entrepreneur and being a gym owner, what has been the most challenging thing you've faced? Oh, great question. And it's the same thing I faced in working out. So again, kind of like, like this, yeah, this might be like a physique thing or you're something you're trying to do to get healthy or whatever else but the implications for your life go way, way deeper into your, your finances, your family, your relationship, all those things all are interconnected and people don't think about that. The hardest part about an entrepreneur is doing the same damn things every single day and not seeing, not seeing results. Yep. Being like, like, Oh man, do I like put out another blog, do another video, do another podcast, have another sales calls. I'm not like, I'm not seeing the results and then wanting to quit wanting to quit and do something easy, right? I want the easy button. How do I just do a YouTube ad? How do I just take a supplement? How do I just do like, do something that's going to get me like instantaneous, spectacular results. And the truth is most people aren't ready for that. Most people can't wrap their minds around it. If like you take the average online personal trainer and I was like, Hey, I'm gonna give you 50 clients that would explode their business. They would, they would ruin everything. They wouldn't get to keep in those clients. Most people can't handle that and they need the process. They just don't want to do those that work. They don't want to do the boring work because we're, we're, we've been told over and over again, yeah, so-and-so, he just, he's having $10,000 months right now. 
this guy, he just put up one ad and now he's in the two comic club at ClickFunnels. And so we get that. We, we see this message that it should be fast. It should be easy. And my message is the opposite. It's not going to be fast and it's going to be hard and you're not going to like it a lot of the time. And you need to do it anyways, because that's what makes you gritty. And that's what's going to provide results while all your competition is falling off. The average career of a personal trainer is two years. That's in the gym. The average online personal trainer, like six months or less, because no one can handle it for like doing these things over and over and over again. They think if I build it, they will come. If I start talking on YouTube, if I do an Instagram live, people are going to watch. No, they're not. Why should they? They don't, nobody cares about you. You have to give them a reason to care. And you don't even have the skills to do that until you've been doing it. And you've talked to a million people to hear what their pain points are and hear what's going on with them and being able to connect with their level. Um, so like, and like, that's something I struggled with. I was talking, I was talking down to people. I was being a dick. I was, I thought I was the hottest shit around. I thought everyone's going to listen to me, read my blog. And no one did because it wasn't good. And that's hard. That's a hard pill to swallow. It wasn't good enough, but you know what? I can get better. I get better every day. It's all right. Was there at any point in time where you just wanted to quit or knew that you needed to go into a different industry or this was what you wanted to do? And you kind of talked about that. It's not going to be an easy road, but you were going to work hard to get to where you wanted to go. I don't know that I've ever been like, you know what I really want to do? You know what my passion is? Being an online coach. I just can't wait to be an online coach. It's a great mechanism for two reasons. Number one, it provides me with the location freedom that I've always wanted. Yep. I'm, I can work from home. I can work from my office. I'm going to work from Puerto Rico this summer. But then number two, I can reach more people. I don't have to be tied down to a gym. I don't have to go in and be like, be there from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. I'm home with my kids. I'm off at 4, 4 p.m. every single day so I can pick my kids up, go spend time with them. That's really important to me. Uh, and then lastly, like I get way better results as an online coach than I ever did as a personal trainer because I am in charge of a holistic lifestyles and habits for people. We talk about nutrition and training and sleep and water. Whereas a personal trainer, I was motivational. I was an awesome trainer, but I was so focused on the half hour or hour we were together that we didn't really spend a lot of time planning and brainstorming and, and like tactically moving these little pieces around the chessboard to create an environment that, that leads to results. How did you get involved in becoming an author? Was this kind of your passion as you started writing that there was something more you wanted to do with that? I've always liked writing. So like I've had a blog since high school, which, oh, do not, do not look <laughs> for my Zang. It is not good. It's, that's a dark place. So like, so I would, I would just kind of like write randomly. I really liked English classes and stuff like that. I've always been a, like a pretty voracious reader. So when I I've like, I've kind of thought of, like, I always thought I was going to write a book. I wasn't sure what it was going to be about. And I, uh, so I started a book one time called the LGN approach, look good, naked approach. And I like started writing stuff out for it. And I just got completely stuck, did not know what to do. And that was in like 2013 or 14. And then in 2018, I went to a conference where this guy named Mike Koenig um, was talking about basically how he writes books all the time and uses them as marketing materials for his business. And so I left that and I was like, I'm gonna write a book. Like, I get it. I see how this is done. So I like in the next uh, four months, I outlined all my chapters. I created a, an outline for each one of those chapters. I went into it and I wrote each chapter. I sent it away to editing. I had people read it. And I wrote my first book called Passport Fitness, which um, was fine. It's a fine book. It's not, it's not, it's not life-changing. 
but that was great because it allowed me like the like then I was like again it was a like box I had checked I'm the type of person who writes books I am an author right so it's up on Amazon you can go see that you can google me and then when I was like when I had more information and more knowledge and could better identify the steps that most of my prospects go through in their in their journey and also the the plan that I built out around it to enable them to utilize a specific framework to reach their goals, I wrote that down too. And that's my new book called The Million Dollar Body Method. So that's been something that I've been like extremely proud of because the because Passport Fitness was like a good collection of tips and tricks about how do you stay fit while you're traveling. And it's got a lot of anecdotes. I have, I have a picture of me holding a crocodile in it. Like it's a lot, it's a, it's a fun book. Um, but this book is a 28-day program that's gonna that helps a lot of people that I don't even talk to. So like I don't have to meet people, I don't have to get in front of them, they don't have to buy from me, they don't have to know anything about me to get this book, open it up, and start seeing results in their life. And that's powerful. Not only that, but like when someone's like, Hey, I don't know if I'm gonna buy from you or not, I'm like, I don't care, whatever you want to do. Do you have a copy of my book? And they're like, No. And I'm like, okay, great. And I send them a copy of my book and be like, read chat, read chapter seven. I think this is good for you. And you think that if if they get a book hand like signed in the mail from me with a note on it, they're not going to think about me all the time. They're not going to come yep. back to me when they're ready. Like you can buy from me. You can not buy from me. It doesn't matter to me because either way I'm still winning. People are, people come back. I've got a ton of longevity, not with my current clients, but also like my sales cycle. Sometimes it's like three years. I'll talk to a guy in like 2018. He'll come back to me three years later and be like, tried all the other things. I'm here. I'm here. I'm ready for your stuff now. He's like, I don't even know. Like, what do you charge? I don't even care. And that's, that's the level I want to play on. With writing a book, you're also a speaker. What's been your main mission on speaking and what kind of impact are you wanting to bring to individuals that are listening to you? Great question. And I would say again, like I thought I was going to be an awesome speaker and like bring so much value and help you change people's lives and stuff like that. So I'd go out of my way to like, I'd call up real estate offices and I'd be like, let me come in and talk to your agents. I think I can help them make more money you know, because I want to give them more energy. I want to give them a little bit of like the gift of fat loss. I want to help them stay dialed in all day long. And I would just go places and talk to people. I was booking, like, I got, I like, I've been on a stage like five or six times, but I've done these like little lunch and learns like dozens of times all throughout like places I live, places I've traveled to. I just like no shame would just hit up people and just be like, Hey, can I come through and talk? Um, and I thought my, my main goal originally was information tactics. Mm. Here's the breakfast you should eat. Here's the lunch you should eat. Here's the dinner you should eat. And here's why these things are important from a blood, blood and biochemical perspective. So, and then, you know, it was, it was interesting because uh, no one did anything I said. Oh yeah. So I was like, what's up with that? And it came down to a couple of different issues. Number one, the subject matter was too boring. I was not a good enough speaker. I was talking about way too many things. I was talking at a level that was way too detailed and intricate for most people. They want sound bites. They want things that are easy to remember. And I was not giving that. <clears throat> and secondly, like my message wasn't one to inspire change. I know I just talking shit about like motivational, inspirational materials, but when you're on stage in front of someone, you want to give them that feeling where they feel like they, they what's possible and that they are, can go out and take action on something. So I needed some more inspiration and I needed to give people a simple task that they could do one thing that can create a win. 
So I've really backed off on the tactics and the, and like the details. And now I talk a lot about how do you like, what's the first hour of your day look like? And how do you set that up in a way that creates a massive win in terms of your energy, your blood sugar, all these things. And I don't really talk about blood sugar because again, people get their eyes get all glazed over. You say, <laughs> say insulin. So um, again, this is just something that I sucked at for a long time. And, but I also don't care if I suck or not. I, I can, I, cause I know if I keep going, I'm going to get better until it's fixed. And so um, I started, I started speaking in like 2018 and I did a couple podcasts here and there. And then last year in 2021, I did 108 podcasts. Wow. Um, yeah. So like, so that was like, that really helped me hone in on my message, hone on some speaking points and create like almost like these like pithy little sayings I have, which feels sometimes a little disingenuous, but also like people need that, those nuggets, people need that, like that little tweetable thing that they can remember to put in their brain. Like, and I look back at the, the podcast and the, and the people I listen to, I think of like this guy, Mike Koenig, who I was talking about with the book. And I'm like, in my brain, I'm like, he told me, write a book for your business. Here's how to do the outline. That's all I remember from him. His speech yep. was incredible. He's an amazing speaker. He was wearing shiny, like silver shoes, but I don't remember what he said, except for that one thing. So like, how can you distill my message down into one thing, which is how do you own the first hour of your day, which is kind of the message at the moment. I think that's so true with like even YouTube videos now out there where people don't want like the most important clip, a two to three minutes of it. And that's all they want to hear. They don't want to watch a whole hour long interview because it's a lot of time that takes up. But I love when you said the blood sugar and insulin, because I'm a diabetic. And so that stuff's my morning is talking about that. And I go, a lot of people don't know what that's like to talk about. And so do you have a favorite like spot that you've spoken at event kind of? I spoke at, like, I love speaking at conferences. That's my favorite because I love being at conferences and people who go to conferences are my people. And because everyone's focused on personal development and growth. So one of my favorites, even though I didn't think I did very good at the presentation, like not like I, like it just wasn't, it wasn't again, the, the thing that the people needed to hear. It was very informational. So, um, but it was one of my favorite, like it was just an gr- amazing weekend and I led workouts every single morning too. So that's kind of what I offer when I come to conferences. Um, but it was called the One Life Fully Lived Conference in Long Beach. And so Basically, they just brought in all these incredible speakers. I was like, I should not be on stage with any of these fools. Like everyone is just like just way outside of the level that I'm playing at. So that was incredible. I got to talk to these people, kind of like rub elbows with like some of these heavy hitters in the industry. It was so fun. And then everyone who was there, great attitudes, amazing to be around, very positive vibes. I love that. Do you have a fun challenge, fitness challenge that you're, looking forward to or wanting to do in the future no not fun (laughs) (laughs) only pain only painful things um well like i like to do uh like a lot of experiments and stuff so on my podcast the low carb hustle i'm always trying to run 30 day challenges so uh last month i finished a high dose melatonin experiment which was really easy but also super interesting so i tracked all my metrics my heart rate and my deep sleep and my REM sleep and my recovery and all these things over the course of a month while I was taking 60 milligrams of melatonin every night. Um, And so I talk about that and like the effects on Alzheimer's and visceral fat and some of these other like interesting things that people wouldn't necessarily associate melatonin with. 
Um, this month right now, like as we talk, I am starting or I'm in the middle of week three of a, a 30 days of, of hardcore keto. I've been, I've been a closeted keto, keto hater for a while. So I talk a lot of shit about keto. So um, I, someone challenged me. He's like, Hey, just why don't you just, why don't you try it out before you, before you keep talking about it? So doing 30 days and it's been quite a challenge and I don't necessarily think I'm going to sustain it, but I'm tracking blood sugar, like blood glucose in the morning. I'm tracking my ketones, I'm tracking my deep sleep and my HRV. Uh, and then I'm going to track like uh, some of my other like blood panels, like my hormones, my cholesterol and body fat as well. So I love things like that. I don't necessarily have like a Spartan race on the menu. <laughs> Even when you were talking about the things that you're tracking, I think some people are just interested in learning more about what their daily lives and how those things even impact. Because I even think about what is my hours of sleep and things like that on a busy day, a stressful day, or any type of. Gonna get that aura ring or whoop. Oh, we'll try one of those, <laughs> the, the biometric, biometric no. trackers. They're super awesome. I love that kind of data. I love seeing my own personal data and like and tracking it. So right now I'm I'm doing the Aura Ring. I just like it because it's a little less intrusive. It's got a great app that goes along with it. But previously I used the Whoop app, which is a wristband. Um, I just didn't like that. It was always I was always like banging it into stuff when I was working yeah. out. But Whoop does a really nice job tracking your activity level. So it like tracks your heart rate and it gives you what these called a strain score. Aura Ring doesn't do that, but they have a lot better and more robust tracking system for sleep. Uh, and I think that's what, that's primarily what I want it for is making sure my recovery is dialed in. Because like I said, that's that's really important to me. I know I can push myself, but I need to know that I'm recovering too. So what does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years, both personally and professionally? Constant growth. 1% better every single day in, in a lot of these arenas, because I know that given the opportunity to be consistent and consistently put out good information, high quality training programs and great videos and good podcasts and, and results from my clients, um, opportunities are going to come. Like just recently I had the opportunity to actually purchase a new podcast and that's been incredible. Wow. So like just being in places where I am setting myself up for success, I don't necessarily have like a 10 year plan where like I'm going to own a apparel company or something like that. But like, I know that, by putting myself in a position to be consistent. Cause I think that's my superpower is I can out consistent most people. So even if I'm not as good as people to start with, even if I'm not as smart or as talented or as innately blessed, I'll just keep going until you fall off. And that's kind of what my mentality is around a lot of these things. So I would love to continue to grow the podcast. I'd love to like make that like a, the low carb hustle, a household name for folks. I'd also like a physical product in the future. I'm not sure what that's going to look like, but trading, buying, buying and selling services is great. And I like it, but I think there's a, there's room for a physical product in my, in, in my revenue stream. Early in the interview, you talked about tattoos. And I think if anyone that's looking, watching this video, they want to know the meaning of your shoulder tattoo that's in front of us. What's the meaning behind it? Is there a ram? It looks like yeah, it's a bighorn sheep. So bighorn sheep is an, is native to Arizona, which is where I where I'm from, and it's also one of the only animals that will die to protect its family and its territory. So it'll 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 fight rather than rather than cede to the territory. But I think the better tattoo that no one can actually read because I got it um, in a really elaborate script that has since blurred is a quote that I really like. It says, "Either find a way or make one," and it's uh, attributed to Hannibal. 
right before he crossed the Alps and burned Rome down. But I love that because it's, it's, it's not about if, it's about when. It's about not letting, not letting small things get in the way of the big goals you set. I like that. I really like that. Is the sheep kind of your spirit animal in a way because of what it represents? So I have three animal tattoos. I have a, I have a, like a, um, a, a seahawk, a okay. osprey on my back, which is like, I feel like um, if you're, if you're familiar with like a lot of like mythology, whether it's like South American or Greco-Roman or whatever else, there's always like a sky land and underworld right Mm -hmm. so my variation on that is the osprey the the bighorn sheep then i have a crocodile tattoo and so that's the underworld for me nice the final question i'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge Mm. I would say that like most important is, is your mentality, right? If you, if you need, like, if you need someone to clap for you, if you need to see like instant spectacular success, it's going to be really hard. So setting your expectations that this is going to be a challenge. It's going to take you a lot longer than you think it's going to take you. It's going to like, everything's going to take a year, you know, like you want to lose five pounds, like give yourself a year to do it, you know, like keep, keep like lose it, keep it off. Right. So give yourself enough time, realize that the process is going to be challenging that way, when those challenges come, those, you hit those plateaus, things are not going the way you thought they were. You're out of town. You don't have the right food, whatever else. You realize, okay, this is a part of the journey and I can keep going. And then realize that kind of like, like with that find a way or make one ideology, you cannot lose in this game if you do not quit. As, like, if, as long as you're, like, you're not a professional athlete or something like that, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're just looking to get your health back, if you want to build muscle, if you want to drop fat, you just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other. That's all you have to do. No, no one program, no one coach, no one nutrition ideology is going to save you, is going to give you all the way there. Your journey is uniquely yours. And as long as you don't stop, as long as you don't quit, you are guaranteed to be victorious in this. And so if you realize that it's going to take you a long time, but your victory is assured, I think that takes a big weight off your chest and, and makes it easier to trudge forward in the face of some overwhelming adversity. Well, Nate, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thanks, brother. I really appreciate you having me on. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow, subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full length episode and video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.